What's up, everyone? It's Brian Horning with Exact IT Solutions. Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast. I have my co-host, Randy Bryan, over at his company, Tech Rescue, and somewhere in Texas. And <laughs> somewhere down in Texas. <laughs> Reginald Andre, his company's Arc Solvers in Miami, Florida. Hello. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me on the show today. What's going on? How much? How much? So today, folks, we're going to jump into some topics you should see there in the live feed. Um, today, we're going to talk about some ransomware, interesting data we have on ransomware targets and what's happening with ransomware today. Um, some of it may be a surprise to you. Some of it may not. Um, but we're going to get into it. We have a few things to cover there. Uh, and then uh, some lawmakers... Uh, are getting involved in the ransomware discussion and are putting laws on the books. So we'll take a look at some laws that were floated last week uh, and talk about what the government's doing to try to tackle this ransomware and cybersecurity crisis that we face. Uh, and then finally, some deep fakes that we're seeing that you might find interesting that there might be somebody calling you or you might be calling somebody and they might not seem, or they might not be who you think they are. And you might want to make sure that you know who they are before you let them do something like remote into your computer. And we'll get into what that is, but it, to, we're calling it the IT support deep fake. Um, and we'll dive into what that is and what you need to look out for uh, today. So um, before we jump into the content, remember, we don't get paid for this. We don't bore you with annoying ass commercials. So remember, share our show. Uh, we go live. We also, um, we also broadcast this on every major podcast platform as an audio file. Uh, so whether you're listening to that, you know, on your run, in the car, when you're working out, we appreciate it. And just remember to share us out, spread the word. We had our second highest number of downloads on our last episode. So the show is growing and, and it is getting out there. So um, gentlemen, how is everyone and what are, what are you up to? Let's just check in real quick before we jump into the meat of the content. Another day in Miami, another hurricane coming. <laughs> no way, really? I didn't hear about that. <laughs> yeah, out in the Caribbean, there's some, they call them disturbances. So uh, right now it's in Haiti and Dominican Republic. Um, so it may be coming our way. We'll see by by the end of the week. Got it. Yeah, we're just in, up here in Texas or down here in Texas, wherever. Um, we are just enjoying the cooler, uh, cooler weather. Um, it's been, uh, I don't know, 75. It's been awesome. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I just got back from Nashville. That was fun. And <clears throat> the weather's been crappy since I got back. I haven't seen the sun since I got back on Saturday, really. So hopefully we get some sun soon. I think it's supposed to be 83 on Friday, which I'll take any day of the week. So, all right, boys, let's jump into it, right? So ransomware, um, I'm going to share up my screen here and ransomware is obviously a big problem we talk about it all the time um but we're, we're just seeing more and more data that proves that business owners are not taking things seriously when it comes to this stuff and uh we have a couple of articles that we're going to kind of highlight here as we go through this topic um but this article here that I have up from ZDNet, ransomware is the biggest cyber threat to business, but most firms still aren't ready for it. 
I mean, I just struggle with reading that because I've been involved with this for so long and it boggles my mind that this is where we're at today. But I'm not surprised because I talk to a lot of business owners and I meet a lot of people and you can just tell by talking to them that they're not prepared for this stuff. It, and, and I guess the scarier part is, is that a, a lot of business owners, more than you would think, more, more than 50%, let's put it that way, that I talk to are doing something with somebody or have somebody in charge of their security. But then when you ask them, like, what does that look like? Or what, what, what are you doing? And the answers I get back are, are, they gave me, they give me anxiety almost because it's like, wow, you're not doing nearly enough. But in their mind, because they have somebody, because they are spending money on it, they think they are doing enough. Um, And that's the challenge that, you know, we face as companies that sell these types of services is that, um, you know, not all IT services and not all cybersecurity companies are created equal. And just because you're throwing a few bucks at somebody for quote unquote security um, doesn't really mean that you're getting good enough security. So I just want to kind of talk about what this article says, but also talk about like, um, you know, not so much what a business owner or what good security should look like, but what can a business owner do to figure out if they actually have good security and who can they trust? I think that's the big thing, right? This is all built on trust and like, who should they be trusting out there to tell them whether or not they're doing an adequate job on cybersecurity? And I think giving our audience that information and, and letting them know a couple places that I'm thinking of off the top of my head that they could go um, is really important for a business owner to know, right? Because a lot of people just default to their friends and their family and whoever they've been doing business with for 15 years, or maybe they'll default to like a referral of a trusted friend. And, and all these things to me are not adequate reasons to pick a cybersecurity company or to work with somebody on cybersecurity. So uh, what do you guys think about this article? I know you had some time to go through it. Um, You know, the sub headline is many firms have no incident response plans or they don't ever test their cyber defenses, says cybersecurity chief. I mean, I many probably meaning like 80% plus in my mind. Um, So what do you guys think? You disagree with anything I said there? Agree? fire away. Yeah, I would go first to the, who are you using? You know, look at their website, look at their business card that they're giving you. Does it just say, is it talking computer repair? Is it talking about virus removals? Or is it talking something a little more mature when it comes to cybersecurity? So um, even though your, you know, your friend is using the IT guy and they've had no instances in the last 15 years, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily qualified for cybersecurity. Um, yeah, that, that's a good, that's a great point. And, you know, I'm thinking of it from a business owner's perspective. Um, most business owners aren't, they, they don't even, some understand technology. I would say the overwhelming majority, they're, they're leaders first. They're not technology people. They're leaders first. That's proven out when we do fish tests. Like I can almost guarantee you that the CEO is going to be one of the people that opens the test and one of the people that actually clicks on the test. But here's where I wanted to go with that. So if I'm a CEO, um, first off, I would point down to the the last paragraph in this article 
where it says that it doesn't the, the the responsibility doesn't end with the IT department. In fact, it actually starts with the CEO and the other stakeholders. And what I mean by that, and this is security 101, is th the people that are the stakeholders of the business need to determine what is it about our business that needs to be protected. You know, maybe it's a big database, maybe it's our ability to work, maybe it's all of the above. And then they need to determine what does it cost if they go down and, you know, maybe it's a thousand dollars an hour, maybe it's a million dollars an hour. And then they need to, they need to, to learn, to know, to figure out how long could I afford to be down? And that's like the first steps that it can start with the CEO where the CEO can basically, and the stakeholders can take responsibility for this because then they can look at it from a perspective that a CEO actually understands and that's a risk perspective. That's a downtime perspective. And I think if they can do that, then they're going to be more, um, more inclined than to ask those questions of the quote unquote IT department or the IT person. You know, what are we doing to protect what we've decided needs to be protected? If they ask those questions, what are we doing to, to uh, re reduce downtime, reduce our costs? Those are questions they can actually ask of the IT that aren't so much tech related. And then if they get an answer back, like, well, you know, um, I don't know him and Hall, or, you know, we're, we have this or that. I think it's a question that they can, they can get an answer to without being super technical. You said a lot there, brother, but I agree with all of it. I mean, <laughs> Y'all got me started. <laughs> you're right, but I agree with all of it. Um, you know, and I guess the other thing is, is, is with, all these businesses and um, just to add to a little bit to what you said there, it, it does need to start in the C-suite, but, and, and what I see is in my experience of doing this for a while now, close to a decade, I'm just on cybersecurity is that <clears throat> IT people tend to like to work in a silo. So if you don't proactively go to these IT people and, you know, bring them into the picture, especially if you work in a big company and you don't work with maybe an outside firm and you have your own IT employees. Um, you know, they do things in a silo and a lot of things you may or may not know. And you can't assume that they're doing them and you can't assume that you're taken care of. Um, and that's the biggest problem that I see is that you put too much blind trust or blind faith into whoever's running your IT and you assume that they're doing it. And I've pointed out many times that network administrators usually are not good cybersecurity people unless they've went and, you know, got the skills and education around that. Just because they're good at setting networks up doesn't mean they're good at secure, securing them. And I think a lot of business owners make that mistake right there. And the other thing is, is that, um, you know, the business owners should be the one checking in and making sure that these things are in place. All the things that Randy mentioned, um, don't rely on the IT person to come to you because there's this, what I've seen. And when I talk to IT business or IT professionals and I say like, why did you, uh, tell somebody that this wasn't being done? They, there's this fear that if, you know, Number one, it's you're not doing your job. That's one thing that, you know, that these IT people have fear that they could be fired or there could be retribution if something is discovered that maybe the boss thinks something's getting done and it's not. Um, 
And then the other thing is just that embarrassment that it's not getting done, right? It doesn't have to do with, you know, you just don't want to tell the boss that you're not doing this or you have to spend more money on it because you know every time you ask for money, you know, you get him and hauled at and it gets shot down most of the time anyway. Um, so there's a lot of things that need to change culturally in the dynamics of how companies operate within IT um, if they haven't made that transition to bringing IT into the C-suite or into the boardroom, like you said. So, um, you know, great point. You, that's there's a there's a big there's all like psychology comes into IT a lot, you know, and I always say that all the time, <laughs> not only with hacking, but with, you know, what's going on and how things are being run. Because quite frankly, businesses haven't treated IT as a core function of a business. They kind of treated it as like an expense over here that we just have to, to deal with. And that's a mistake. So if that's how you treat IT in your business, I'm giving you some advice today and telling you, you, you need to treat that as one of your core functions inside your business. Just like you look at sales, operations, and HR IT should be right there with it. So Andre, anything you want to add? Yeah, just like how in your business, you may have your internal accounting department, but then you have a CPA, just like you may have a internal, you know, maybe a, a, a legal, but then you have outside counsel. It kind of needs to be the same thing with, with IT. You can't just trust and just rely on your internal team. And sometimes even your internal team may just have a skill set for you know, help desk and just the regular operations, but not necessarily um, cybersecurity. Yep. So <clears throat> I'm going to pop up and Marie, this is along the same lines of, of the discussion that we're having now. Um, but Microsoft threw out this study that goes along with kind of what we've been talking about. Um, and we'll figure out a way to link this in the comments or something. Let me actually drop the link to this in the comments because we're not going to go through the whole article, but I think if you're interested in this stuff, it's definitely worth a read um, to check this whole article out. Um, but <laughs> ransomware cybercrime targets. And my biggest takeaway is, you know, you basically have four industries that make up half the attacks. Then you have other industries that make up the other half. But quite frankly, you know, considering that a lot of stuff is, goes unreported, Right. Um, <clears throat> you, we don't really know how accurate these numbers are. So I'm going to say give or take three points on each one. Right. So relatively speaking, if you give or take three points on each one, you could be saying like to me, I look at this and go, everybody's an equal target. There's no real standout industry here that you're look you're going to look at here and say, well, that particular industry is a, is a major target. Um, and we talk about healthcare, we talk about education as being ransomware all the time, right? Manufacturing and agriculture, starting to hear more about that, but I don't think manufacturing and agriculture has been one of the big industries that has been talked about. Insurance and financial. And I think I went off pretty hard on the insurance industry last week, right? Mm -hmm. And here they are telling us how to do our cybersecurity, yet they're one of the top dogs of, of, of targets for cyber criminals. Um, I don't know. What did you guys take away from the article or, or this stat right here? But that's kind of my takeaway when I look at this stuff.
what, what I love about this is I can use this even for my clients because one of the things my clients always say is, what do they want from me? They never want to, they'll never come after me. And this shows that, yeah, it's not just, you know, the government, it's not just healthcare, it's consumer retail, which is, you know, the majority of our type of business. They're coming after them hard. And for a very good reason, because they have, they, they think their data is not important, but it's exactly what the hackers want. Yeah, this article is really interesting. Also, um, I was I was surprised at some of the smaller numbers, but also um, just the the breadth of it all is um, very very interesting. And then also that the the United States is the number one. I, I realized that before, but it's three times as many attacks as the next um, the next nation, which would be China. So. Um, that's uh, very, very interesting. I know um, we get down into the weeds on the nerdy stuff here, but this is a really good article. Mm -hmm. It is. So, you know, it's for me, this just tells everyone be on high alert. Um, you know, this is a big problem for you. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, how professional services <clears throat> isn't, you know, we are professional services. And it's interesting to me that, that's only in the 7%. It's, it's less than these other ones. And we could sit here and speculate as to why that is. But my guess is, is that <clears throat> obviously government's going to be up there. But retail, quite frankly, from what I've seen in the retail industry, their cybersecurity practices are terrible. Mm -hmm. Insurance and financial. I'm just going to go, go back to last week's podcast and you'll understand how I feel about that industry. Manufacturing and agriculture, another one that we're seeing now being exploited a lot because of course, cybersecurity practices, right? And now there's this big, you know, concern around agriculture being potentially affected um, and government, right? <clears throat> so um, government's always gonna be a target um, you know, that's kind of where the, the secrets are. So if they can get to the secrets, you know, when you're talking about state sponsored attackers, um, you know, they're really going after government, right? They're not going after private businesses. Criminals are going after private businesses. State sponsored guys are not really targeting small and medium sized businesses. So that's interesting um, stuff there. Go ahead. Well, we had a question pop up in the comments. You know, do you think ransomware criminals will come after you. I think this, first off, this pie chart, if you're a business, basically says yes. And then I also think that the whole, the whole like individual is going to have like, like cybercrime uh, aimed at individuals is going to have to have a lot of, there's going to have to be a growth in the protection industry for that because the cyber criminals are going where the money is. And there's a lot of individuals that have money. So I, I believe every individual needs to also treat their own data and their own stuff like, hey, they are coming after you. That would be my, my answer to that. Yeah, I agree. So up on the screen, we got this new U.S. bill that would force companies to disclose <laughs> ransomware payments. And I'm just going to kind of leave the title up there because there's been a lot of action, so to speak, on, on this front with the government getting involved in dealing with ransomware and cyber crime. Um, you know, you have this one where basically they're they want uh, CISA to set up a website where 
to voluntarily businesses will voluntarily disclose these ransomware payments. Um, <clears throat> this particular bill, I didn't see a lot of um, uh, teeth in it um, in terms of some other bills that I've seen. Uh, but last week we did have the Treasury Department come out and say that if you have a government contract and you pay the ransom, that you are going to be criminally charged, and they're they're and they're going to at least investigate you. Um, and what are they going to do when they look when they do this investigation? Right, they're going to look for gross negligence. They're going to look to see if somebody was grossly negligent and charge them with who knows what, but they have basically come out and said that they're going to, they're going to, you know, put teeth into anybody who has a government contract and has to deal with ransomware and pays the ransom. I, I think they ought to just go the whole way and just make it illegal to pay the ransom. Um, that's pretty scary to even say, but from a personal um, kidnapping standpoint, America officially doesn't pay kidnappers um, like to, you know, international kidnappers and things like that. There's countries that do. And the citizens of those countries that pay the literal physical ransom to kidnappers, those countries actually have a higher incident percentage of their citizens being kidnapped. And it, it's a scary thought to think, you know, we could never just pay the ransom, but they ought to just go the whole way and just make it illegal to pay it. I mean, only a third of companies get all their data back anyway. And if we know we're going to we're not going to be able to pay one, it's going to make a tax go down. And two, it's going to make businesses be more more aware of that and then get their data protected and get their data covered so they can you know, they can get it back if there is a ransomware attack. I know that's pretty controversial. I'm, what do you guys think about that? Well, I definitely think that should happen, but I just don't think that it's going to happen because when <laughs> we, we've seen all these industries where, you know, once the, the American consumer starts to hit the feel the pain, the pressures on the board and the CEO to do whatever they got to do to get. And we even talked about that last week mm -hmm. where these CEOs are just basically like, OK, we need the problem to go away. That's what they do. How, do the, how does the problem go away? How much do they want? Give it to them. Let's move on. I have my deadlines and reports and things like that. I have to do. It's interesting, though. I, I after I after we did that podcast, right? There was a number in there that said that most business owners would be willing to pay up to 100k to get their data back. Mm -hmm. And the, and I learned since then the average ransomware payment right now is 300,000. Hmm. So your numbers are low, business owners. Yeah. And right. the ransomware tax only 20 percent of the total cost of a ransomware attack. The right. ransom payment. Right. But if you're a business owner going, you know, I got enough coverage or I'll, I'd be willing to shell out 100K. Well, the number is not 100K. It's 300K. right. Yeah. Like, are you willing to throw yeah. out 300K? Because 100K is not going to get you what you want. Right. So, you know, and that but, you know, I think that also does that 100K number just quickly is <clears throat> it justifies not spending on cybersecurity. Right. It, it, in their mind, they go, OK, I, I don't need to spend money on cybersecurity because I'll just pay 100K if I ever get hit with ransom. But if they know the number is 300K or 400K or 500K, maybe they'll go, well, maybe I should just hire somebody to protect me and play a little defense instead of just, you know, thinking that I'm just going to pay the ransom. And, and this low, low, low number that's not going to get my data back. Right. So 
it's like that fallacy in your head that you're justifying not buying cybersecurity services mm -hmm. because the number you think you need to pay when a cyber criminal comes a knocking is not a hundred thousand. It's way higher. And, yeah. and people need to recognize that. So we got a question uh, from the audience and I'll let you guys handle this one. Uh, what can an individual do to best protect our home computer systems and home networks? And that's from Julie. Hey, Julie, thanks for uh, asking that question. Great question. So the number one thing is any devices that you have in your home as, as um, for example, your computer, your TV, if you have a, a, some type of cloud camera system, make sure that those items are updated all the time. And then the second thing is, and we talked about this in the past podcast before, is where you want to be sure that your the default passwords are not there. So you're putting, um, so your camera system, if it came with a one, two, three, four, five, six password, you're changing it to something else. Um, that will definitely help you. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, I, I feel like this needs to be an area where we see more cybersecurity businesses like, you know, like uh, Bitdefender, things like that, get more involved in protecting of home users um, because there's just there's not a lot available for home users out there right now. But I would agree with everything that that Andre said, you know, keep your devices updated, keep your 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 antivirus up to date. Um, and and then I, we're, we're I think we're going to see huge growth in in the industry in providing cybersecurity for individuals soon. That's a good point. I don't know where that's going to go because, you know, <laughs> not everybody has the same resources and some of this stuff costs money. But um, I think it's wise. I, I like the idea of a lot of these Soho routers or these these you know, like the Netgear Nighthawk is one that I'm very familiar with that I know you know, scans all your devices, all your IOT devices, your light switches, you know, your cameras, and it'll tell you if that device has a vulnerability, it will actually send an alert to an app on your phone. Um, now it can't update the device for you. So it's kind of on you to figure out how that device needs to be updated. Um, but I think definitely um, having an awareness that when you put these devices into your home, that you can't just set it and forget it, right? You need to have some kind of a strategy or you need to, um, you know, just like you used, you know, you were probably told one time that you have to back up your stuff, right? You have to back up your pictures, right? And before we had these, you know, online cloud storage, you know, I know people that would use thumb drives and USB drives to back up all their pictures that they've taken over the years, right? And, you know, in a similar way that people got, kind of in a mode where they regularly backed up the data on their home computers because they probably got burned once or twice. This is going to be, you know, kind of the same thing that plays out. Like people will once a quarter or twice a year when they change their smoke alarm batteries, I don't know, some regular interval where they're checking on whether or not their TVs, their cameras, their light switches have the latest firmware, or maybe they went obsolete and you have to replace it. Right. So that's another thing that people should have awareness around and what they should be doing. So um, let me flip over here and stop uh, sharing. And then let's jump into our last article, which is an interesting one, especially if you own a business and you have 
IT support um, because this is something that's concern that concerns me. Um, and we can see this happen a lot of different ways. It just doesn't have to be with your um, with your IT company, right? This could be with Microsoft. This could be with Google. This could be with, you know, basically any app that you use today where somebody calls up and they say, hey, I'm a Facebook support and there's an issue with your account. Um, you know, this could be something that definitely affects end users. But the bigger concern here is, you know, especially being an IT company uh, CEO, you have to be always be aware of threats like this when users can be tricked into, you know, in a situation where somebody calls and maybe sounds like me or sounds like a, an employee of mine um, and they trick them into allowing this person to remote into their computer. Um, or they Google your company name and somebody set up a, a squatting website, a fake website, they click on it and there's a, a different number at the top of the top of the website that looks like yours. Um, but it's a different number. They call that number because they think they're calling your company's help desk and they're calling some scammer or hacker right on the other end of the line. Um, and that's how these things are going down. So I want to talk about them. I want to make people aware of them and what can we do? That's the big question. What can we do to protect ourselves? So, um, Randy, what, what's the, what's the skinny here? Kind of give us the rundown of what's going on here. What does this article talk about? What are the different scenarios where somebody can get scammed using this vector? I mean, just the whole, it's the whole idea of impersonating somebody. And, you know, we've talked over the last, gosh, several months, we've mentioned several large data breaches where people's entire information, like the T-Mobile breach, um, that's just one of many, but all of these different breaches. And then they take that information and they, they use it to basically engineer an attack. So that's why it's called social engineering. And in this particular case, they're talking about people calling up to your help desk and, and basically saying, oh, hey, um, I'm Brian Hornig and I'm locked out of my computer. Um, can you please send me the password? Um, because I forgot it. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Let me look that up. You know, do, do, do. They look it up in the database and then they just give it to you. Or specifically, like they'll get a, uh, a text or an email uh, from you, you know, to the help desk, you know, saying I'm locked out of this account. I'm locked out of that account. Can you send me the password? I mean, that's one of the many possibilities. But the idea is that they've gained enough information about you to then use that as a foothold to basically bootstrap themselves up into impersonating you um, and then getting information so they can get more information. And, and I can tell you, they are, they're freaking relentless with this stuff. Um, and they already have a playbook. Um, they're not just, Oh, let's just call up and we've got, you know, one little arrow in our uh, quiver and that's going to be, we're going to just impersonate Brian and ask for a password. Like they've got a whole, a whole playbook on things like this. Um, you can also do a thing where they can also do a thing where they call in and get a piece of an informa of information. Like, hey, I'm locked out of my computer. And, you know, well, who is this? Well, they'll, this is Brian. And then they say, oh, you mean uh, Brian, Brian Hornig? Oh, yeah, 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 that's me. Oh, wait, I got in. Boom, thanks. And they just got your last name. And then they can call back and say, hey, this is Brian Hornig, blah, 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 blah. And they can use that to gather more and more pieces of information 
to basically, like I said, a foothold to bootstrap themselves into like becoming you, if you will, and then using that to get into your other um, accounts. So you got me started on that one again. I'm always good at getting you started. Andre. I'll, I'll give you one example that happened with one of our clients. And luckily it was legit. Where um, I think it was Windstream. Um, Windstream basically called and was trying to sell some type of internet service to them. And the secretary says, look, I know nothing about IT. And then the follow-up question, because I call back and ask her, hey, how did they get our number? They ask, well, who's your decision maker or who's your IT company? I'll talk to them directly. And then from there, they called, they told them Arc Solvers and gave them the number and gave them my information. And here you go having someone, you know, calling me constantly trying to get Windstream at this client's place. So it's super important that your employees are trained not to divulge any any information as far as who the IT company is, because again, that's going to be the the like um, Randy said. That's just they just want a little information, and then once they have enough, then they go for go for the kill, so to speak. So, what are some things that people can do if they kind of find themselves in a situation where this happened to them, right? Where they maybe they inadvertently, without thinking you know, Google the number and called that number that showed up on the Google search. Um, you know, what can they do uh, if, you know, they get a phone call from somebody that, that says, you know, I'm calling from so-and-so tech support, right? Because um, that's like one of the biggest things that I, one of the biggest fears that I have is that like, if somebody figures out a customer of ours and they decide, hey, we can call that company and we can start telling we can start calling up and saying, Hey, we're, we're from exact it solutions. We need to remote into your computer. Um, what are some things that businesses and people can do to protect themselves? Now in that scenario, I'll just give you my advice that you're, if you're working with an outside it company or you have your own internal it support, um, <clears throat> I would make it cut and dry to your employees, what your process is. So I would highly recommend that your process involves um, that you never that you state something like you never called the employee and asked for remote access. Like it's, you know, we already have that access, number one, so they don't have to do anything special, like go to a special website, and type in a code. Um, but they should also realize that tech support won't be calling them to remote in unless it was maybe like a scheduled call. Um, that usually it'll work where the employee or the person initiates the contact to the IT help desk, the IT support, and that's how the flow of service happens. Um, and you just need to make your employees aware of that flow of service so they understand. And if it deviates from that, that should draw a red flag and maybe you should hit pause and, and go talk to somebody or say, hey, this didn't exactly go the way that it should have. Um, you know, because you just never know. And these guys get better and better every day at, at figuring out ways to, you know, trick your employees and, and do those things. But if you don't talk about it, you don't train, um, then the chances of them being successful goes up dramatically versus if you explain to all your employees, this is how you engage with IT support. This is how you should contact them. Um, and even more so, if you work with a third-party company, really know uh, and really let your employees know, like, don't go to Google, 
and look up their name and dial that number that shows up. Like there's a specific number that you should be giving your clients that you really don't publicly advertise um, that, that that's how they dial in if they need to phone call support. Um, that's the best way. That's the way that, you know, we've seen it done the best. And that's the way I would recommend any company do it. If they're working with like an MSP or an outside IT company is have a special number that's not publicly, uh, you know, associated with any website or, or the company uh, that you give to just your clients that they can then call. Um, and that number is the only number that reaches the help desk, the main number um, and all these other numbers that you have don't get to your technical employees that help your customers. Um, anything you guys want to add to that? Yeah, so what we do is we have a very basic, nothing fancy video, about four minutes. It's unlisted on YouTube. And anytime a new employee onboards, part of their onboarding process is just to watch the YouTube video. We're introducing ourselves, our, our, our services, some of our team members, key team members, and when they should be calling IT. And then we also include, you know, um, examples of phishing emails. We talk about password manager. And then we also talk about how we are able to remote into their systems, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we're pretty much a, a small team, about eight people. So um, it's a little more personable when it comes to, you know, okay, hey, it's Andre calling for IT support rather than just, you know, somebody else. So that video seems to have helped a, a lot of our clients. So in any scenario, I think we're all in agreement in the fact that you really shouldn't be doing a Google search. Yeah. I guess we got to let people know one of the biggest ways that scammers scam people is through Google because people, instead of like typing in the web address, they just type in the company name in Google because it's easier. And then instead of clicking on the website, because, you know, it would take so much effort to actually click on the link to go to the website, to look at the website, they literally use whatever Google returns to them as the phone number. And that can be manipulated. Right, Randy, as an SEO expert, like if I stand up a, a pretty legit looking website, you know, a squatting website, there's nothing to say that Google won't look at my website as the legit as a legit website for a certain brand or company and then index the phone number. And then when you type it in, you know, it comes up big and bold right at the top of the Google search results, what the phone number is. And people trust that. And that needs to change because scammers take advantage of that all the time. I see it all the time. Yeah, there's a it's a technique called turn and burn okay. where you build a you build a site that you're you know ultimately you know is going to burn down, um, but you do all kinds of spammy things to get it to link to rank well, um, and then people call it like like that. They can call in on a number. You know they can order Viagra. They can order uh, Louis Vuitton purses or whatever. Um, those are literally three of the biggest things that they do this with. Um, yep. and, and also um, health supplements. So you probably don't want to ever search for uh, health supplements online um, either. You know, you should go to like your local health shop or whatever um, and, you know, kind of start there with your, with your search. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if you want to protect yourself from a social engineering type of cyber attack, there's nothing you can do externally to prevent this from happening to your business. Um, you have to create awareness. You have to provide cybersecurity awareness training. 
And you have to have policies, procedures, and standards around how you do things so people understand what the norm is. And then to they should be trained to raise a red flag or be vigilant when things fall out of the norm, right? Well, this isn't the normal way that we were doing or the way that we were trained it would be done. So now I need to hang up the phone and go check with somebody to make sure that this is legit. Um, you know, I've had to do that quite a few times and quite a few times it was just me being more paranoid, but I'd rather be more paranoid and, you know, maybe wait a few hours or a day or two to, to do something with somebody um, than to find out that I just let some scammer, you know, into my system and God knows what he did. So, all right, boys, thanks for the insight. I think that was a good uh, discussion. Good show today. Um, yeah. Boy, that across. There we go. Um, so any, any last words you want to, you want to shout out there to everybody before we wrap it up today? Happy birthday, Randy. Oh, yeah, thanks wow. a lot. You got it in. You got it in. Now we just, now the uh, attacker just needs to figure out the year. Of birth. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. <laughs> At least 19. Well, it's all over Facebook anyway. So At least 1969. I'm guessing 1969. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> so, all right, guys, thanks for your, your insight and your time today. I think we did a, another bang up job in a show, getting the word out and educating people on this stuff. Uh, remember, Share the show. If we did good, um, share us out. If we didn't, then do not share us out and uh, help us grow our show. We appreciate it very much, and we'll see you guys next time. Take care.